Benjamin, for uh, having us use the black book for the last song. Could you go ahead and find that black book again, turn to 201? There was a suggestion, request, whatever you want to call it, from an anonymous person uh, over this song. I don't know this song, uh, but reading through it is going to be one of my favorites, I think. So if somebody knows this song, if you could sing it, it would be great. Lead out on it, at least. Does anyone know this song? Anyone? I don't know it. Let's try. Let's give it to College Spirit here. That's amazing. That's that's okay. One of my second favorite songs now. <laughs> um, 
I feel th- this morning I want to kind of just hit over a little bit of an introduction, get right into it. We've got a lot to cover, and I appreciate the extra time that we have. But I just, I just want to confess to you one more time that I really do feel like an Amishman that's trying to sell used cars. I, I, there, there is a lot of what is available to us through the Holy Spirit I have not experienced in my life, and I want more. There's, there's victories, there's power, there's, we're going to be going through some things, and I don't want to make it sound to anybody out there, I got it all together, I've got it figured out, and I'm going to share with you what the Lord has showed me. I'm going to share with you what the Lord has shown me, but I want this working out in my life more. I'm right with you. In fact, the last time I preached, I, I told people afterwards, I'm glad you were here to listen to me preach to myself, and that's, that's exactly how I feel today. There's stuff here I need to hear in a deeper way. Last week we talked about the evidence of the Holy Spirit, my desire to share with you the frustration and fear that I have, that though I'm walking in the things I believe the Lord has put before me, um, there's a fear in me that maybe I'm doing this out of my talent, maybe I'm generating this out of, the, out of my flesh, and it, it may serve God's purposes, uh, like Balaam's donkey, right? I mean, it, it served God's purpose, but it certainly wasn't his first desire. His first desire was to speak directly to his prophet. It wasn't through a, a dumb animal. And so... So that I have this fear, and, and who all is going to who's going to forget that quote from Tozier? If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, ninety five percent of what we do would go on, and no one would know this difference. If the Holy Spirit was uh, had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, ninety five percent of what they did would stop, and everyone would know the difference. That that's a condemning thing. And even more than that, after I shared that, I had a friend with me after last Sunday uh, shared with me something I didn't know about Tozier. He was one that would believe that the spiritual gifts, the, the Holy Spirit supernatural gift, the charismatic gifts, had ended. So Tozier's mindset was the stuff we do here, we would just keep going. He's not even talking about speaking in tongues and, and healing and, and all of the, the more charismatic gifts. He was just talking about the presence, the intelligence, the wisdom, the pipeline, the, the clean pipeline we have to God's heart. We wouldn't even notice it's gone because we're so good. We're so polished. We're so able. As a, um, this morning, I'm, I'm still, if not more, impressed that after sharing and confessing with you all my faults on this topic... That all, with all the talent in this room, could we or could I be operating good things in the flesh without the Holy Spirit's power? Well, what do we do about that? What do I do about it? I, I, I have some things here for us to go over, but first I want to impress upon you. You all know this is just a short biblical lesson. You all know the synoptic gospels, right? The first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are pretty much written very similar to each other. Either they were written at the same time, they had the same obvious source information, um, but they, they have a lot of the same quotes, a lot of, I mean, you do a harmony and you can pretty, meanwhile, there's this fourth gospel, John's gospel, almost as, and I don't know this for sure, but almost as if after years and years and years of these gospels being circulated, he looked and went, this is good stuff, this is, this is true, I remember all this stuff, but you know what, there's some stuff I, I remember from my point of view that my brothers didn't capture. And so he wrote a gospel that has a lot of different information. Nothing that conflicts, but a lot of different information that joins and gives a fuller picture in one thing. And when you see things, when you're looking at a harmony, and you see the same thing in all synoptic gospels, and in John's gospel, well, all four agree, 
pay attention. That's something that John acknowledged and commented on, which is not common for his gospel. So why am I bringing that all up? Matthew 3, uh, 11 says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me, mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. That's Matthew. Mark, I indeed baptize you with water, but he who baptizes you, but, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 3, 3.16. John answered saying, to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal, the sandal straps I am not worthy to loosen. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit's fire. John's version. In John's gospel, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is an important part of Jesus' ministry. It was part of the gift that God the Father gave us through Jesus. Jesus don't only, don't, not only just came to teach and show and, and, and do all the things that he did, but he came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. It is, it is part of the authentic Christianity, is to be walking in the Spirit by feeling that Spirit. The evidence I seek is, is not the dripping wet because I went swimming. The evidence I seek is, is I want to know. He's operating within me. I want to know that I'm not just up here crafty, uh, uh, you know, stealing things from this sermon and this this, this article and and just sharing and just just blah to you guys. I want to know the Holy Spirit wants this for our fellowship, or He wants this for me, and He wants me to be able to articulate it. I, I want that. I prayed that this morning that we would experience His power. God intended us. For us to walk in that power. The battles we often lose. I heard the brother this morning. I gotta tell you, my, my, my testimony is so similar. And, and the battles we lose is because of our powerlessness. We have powerlessness to forgive. We have powerlessness to fight for purity. To become humble enough to admit to our sins. We, we are powerless to die to self and to live for Christ. Have you ever felt the lack of the do? I want to read the Bible more. I want to pray more. I want to be an encourager more. I want to bless and not curse. I want to be a man who walks at the heart of God. Why can't I do it? There's a lack of do in my life. If someone could, with a loud voice, either Joel or Roger or somebody with a really loud voice, could you turn to me uh, for me? Acts chapter 1. Verse eight. And while you're while you're turning to that, I want that verse to be read loud and clear. When you're turning to it, I just want to say this: there's a powerlessness that represents walking in the flesh. It feels like power, but it's a powerlessness to change anybody's life, including your own. And I want that do in my life. I want to change. I want to be able to do the things that he's called me to do. I want that power. I, I, I don't want to be power hungry for power hungry's sake. I want Holy Spirit power within me. Okay, who, who's volunteering to read loud? Okay, Joel. And 
And we're going to look at that verse a little bit later, but did you hear that first part? You will receive power. Now, he's just talking to his disciples, right? He's just talking about these men who are going to be the witnesses under Judea and Samaria and all the world. But he's not, maybe the people who wrote the Bible. That's who he's giving the power to, the authority to write the Bible. Okay. But, you know, if you read Romans chapter 8, you get this picture that we're to walk in that power too. You get the picture that we are supposed to have victory over sin. We're supposed to have victory over unforgiveness and victory over apathy and victory over lethargicness. And we're supposed to have that do in our life. And it's the power that he's promised us. Now, you've probably all heard the sermon before, and so I'm not going to go into detail, but you do know that the Greek word for power there is the same root word that we have for dynamite. It is it is ability to move, explosively change a situation. Do a word study on it, by the way. I did uh, last night, and I was impressed, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail, but that's that's a powerful word. But always remember that that power comes from walking in him, not the hope of walking in him, like I feel like I have so often. That power to be able to forgive the unforgivable comes from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's his power. It's not, oh, I really wish I was better. I really, it's a, it's a power that we have to have in him. You know, I, I, I could talk about the blocks that keep the Holy Spirit and that, that's a sermon unto itself. There's, there is much to say about what keeps the Holy Spirit from working in us. Um, but suffice it to say for right now, Paul said that walking in the Spirit, we do not gratify our fleshly desires. And uh, uh, I believe that's Romans 5.16. But listen to Paul's sermon on, on this. It, he, he's so clear. In Romans 8, he says this, Romans 8, 4 through 9. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. But you are controlled by, uh, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. We should. Spend time to unpack that. We should go over the list that, that Paul gave us in Rome, uh, Romans. Go over the list that he's given us in, in Galatians. That's for another day. That could be a whole sermon about that. Rather, let's think about another list. This, this last week I, I hinted, I found a list of things that are true to a church that's welcoming the Holy Spirit. The whole article's point of view was when you go to a church and you can kind of look around it. I, uh, I remember when I went on a mission trip with, um, some people, side story that's relevant, but I remember staying overnight in a church with my group, the, the people that were going down with me, and they picked up the hymnal, and they said, oh, they have a hymnal, so the Spirit of God's not here. I, wrong perspective, and I understand that, but the issue is someone coming to a church and seeing the evidence. What is the evidence that the Holy Spirit's welcomed in this building, this congregation, this group, this body? I, would, I went through that list, and I thought, I, I'm not preaching this as if to evaluate us 
But can I ask you to spend this time as I go through this list, evaluate yourself. Am I allowing this in my life? Am I, am I, do I have the evidence of this? Number one, the Holy Spirit should lead people in their singing to the Lord. Paul says this, uh, there's lots of verses in, in Psalms, but I was looking for one in the New Testament. And, he's, uh, and he, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15, Well then, what should I do? I will do both. I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will sing in the words I understand. The Holy Spirit, he's, he's, <laughs> he's an amazing pointing to Jesus God. He's an amazing pointing to Father God. He's an amazing one pointing to our hearts and saying, are you right enough for that? Are you, this thing in your life, this needs to change so you can be more available to Him. And part of our singing is that, right? We sing these hymns, we sing these songs, we sing these prayers. And, and is the Holy Spirit in that or is tradition in that? The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin and draws people to the Lord. So when the Holy Spirit moves, the lost are saved. And when he comes, here's a quote out of John, chapter 16, verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Is the Holy Spirit whispering to your heart, maybe this morning, maybe last night, maybe last week, that's sin. That attitude, that word you just spoke, that's sin. That thought you just had, that's sin. Are you hearing the Holy Spirit? If you haven't heard the Holy Spirit all last week, pointing out something in your life, you're a lot holier than I am. <laughs> or maybe the Holy Spirit isn't present. Again, this is a self-reflective moment. Do you feel convicted over sin? Do you Things that you didn't even know was sin, all of a sudden you're like, wow, wait a minute, that is sin. You have those moments. Point number three, the sick are healed. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. One of the results of that was the healing of the sick. In Acts chapter 10, verse 36 through 38, we see evidence of that. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and beginning from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who sent about doing good and healing all who are, were oppressed by the devil of God, and uh, God was with him. Are we little Christ? Are we trying to follow Christ? Are we trying to be emulators of Christ? He had this healing. Wherever he went, he looked at those oppressed, and he said, you're oppressed, and he healed them. I, I, don't, I just don't have that in my life. I, I want it. Nowhere in scriptures do we see that the Holy Spirit has lost the power to bring forth miracle, miracles and healings and such. In fact, if you just allow me to go down a little rabbit trail, there's a, there's a doctrine that I want to make sure I'm stepping all over. And I don't believe, if you believe this doctrine, feel free to come up and talk to me later. But I do not believe that this is a correct doctrine. It's called sensation, right? Um, there's people that would teach that a, a lot of the miracles you know, God is God, and we don't want to put God in a box, so he could still do miracles today, but the miracles that we read about in the Bible are not common anymore. They're not, they're not realistic. They're not something we're going to see, because God used miracles at the time before the Bible was written to confirm the words that these preachers were, these preachers were presenting, 
Right? They point out some really good scriptures on that topic. Mark chapter 16, verse 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. And they went out to preach everywhere, and the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. And Acts 8, 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord, heeding the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were oppressed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 2. For if the word, uh, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression or disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Okay, those sound pretty, pretty, like, yeah, okay, God used all these things to confirm his word. But I gotta ask you, do we need those miracles any less to confirm his word today? How many people doubt God's word? How many people say that, oh, all those different translations and all, all the, you know, the, the things have been added and taken away and written thousands of years after it was supposedly happened and, 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 you know, this Bible has just been proven over and over again as not being consistent and, uh, don't, do we need those miracles any less today? I, I, I'm not seeing them. I'm not seeing them. The same thing could be said to us that says about Jesus when it says in John 3, 2, it says, This man uh, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, you know that you are, we know that you are a teacher that came from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Our friends in the conservative churches, the Baptist churches, they would say, uh, what about God's teaching that miracles would stop? Uh, when the Bible was canonized. That's the doctrine of sensation, that, that it was created to confirm this, and then it was done. Well, I, I would say that we would say back to our friends, Sola Scriptura. Paul is finishing up his insights on God's perfect love by saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Uh, where, wherever there is knowledge, it will vanish away. But we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So our, our friends over there in the other, other churches, they would say that all the things of the tongues and the prophecies, and that all going to cease because we don't need to confirm this anymore because it's perfect. It's now canonized. I, Hmm. Has it? Is this referring to the canonization of the Bible? Is it perfect? You know, I hate to disagree. And I, and I know this is the inerrant word of God, etc. This is, this is beautiful. It's handed down. But do we know it? Do we know what this is saying? Is it an ongoing revelation? Is it, is it, is, I'm sorry, is it blasphemy, but is it perfect? It's perfect in a way, but is it perfect for what we're talking about right now is it perfect uh, what 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 exactly did paul mean by what exactly was john talking about 
What, what, what does baptizing the dead or the second, the second or the later rain, the, the distinction of soul and spirit and flesh and, uh, flesh and bone, what does that mean in the, in the last days? How many churches have split over that last phrase, the last days? What is the last days? Did it occur then? Is it now? Is it in the future? What, are we in it now? Are we not in it now? Were they in it then? Were we, I mean, it, 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 can you get what I'm trying to say? I'm not trying to say this is not perfect, but in our understanding, it's not perfect. So I don't think that what Paul is saying is all these things are going to disappear when it becomes perfect. I don't think it could possibly refer to this. In fact, let's Paul, let Paul say for, speak for himself. He goes on and says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as mine is also known. Face to face. I think clearly what Paul is saying is it's going to be perfect when we are face to face with the Lord. Then we are known as we have been known. We, we will know as we have, we are known. We, we will be in a perfect state when there's no flesh to pull us away from the Holy Spirit's voice. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about tongues stopping or prophecy or miracles stopping. No, miracles can and still do happen. I submit that it's our lack of faith. It's our unbelief. It's the scientific knowledge of today that limits his moving through us the way he used to have. And if you want a verse, you know, if you ever get a chance on our free Sundays or whatever, you're visiting some relatives back east or something and you go to a four-square church, one of the things that every four-square church has to have someplace prominently posted is part of their doctrine. It is part of their rules. This verse. Anytime you walk into a sanctuary, you're going to see it somewhere in the church. They say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's a good thing to remember. He spoke in miracles then. He'll speak in miracles today. We have to have a heart to be able to allow it to come through us or a heart and faith to be able to see it when it happens and confirm our faith. Back to our regular scheduled message here. Sorry for that rabbit trail. The demons possessed are set free. It was by the Holy Spirit that Jesus drove out the demonic beings. If you want evidence of that, Matthew 12, verse 28, it says this, but if I am, uh, but if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. This is that famous talk about uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Demons are real. Demons' possession is real. And the demonized uh, long for freedom. When the Holy Spirit truly moves, the forces of darkness have to dissipate. Plenty of children's lessons in that one. Jesus is glorified. If, if the Holy Spirit's welcomed in your life, is He glorified? The true move of the Holy Spirit won't glorify anyone or anything besides Jesus, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, period. I could name some pastors today that you, you'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard about him. Even in our plain circles, we've heard about these fellas in you know, all these different places. But is that man being glorified, or is that woman being glorified, or is the Holy Spirit glorifying God through these people? That's, that's a good telltale sign. In my personal life, if I'm saying I'm better than others, or I'm listening to the Spirit and I'm more spiritual, then that's clearly not the Holy Spirit. He shall glorify me. Uh, this is John sixteen fourteen. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So the Holy Spirit is going to show the things of Jesus to you. The Holy Spirit will only demonstrate his power to point out Jesus. 
And, and forgive me for being crass, but can I, can I just, I, I can't think of a better illustration than this. I, I just cannot think of a better, and I'm really sorry for this if I've offended anybody. But have you ever been on a long journey and you have spare moments? You, you have time, oh look, there's a garage sale. Um, oh, you know, I could stop by the store and get some stuff for, for later so I don't have to go shopping later. Oh, I should stop in and visit my friends. I have spare time. But on the other hand, you really have to use the bathroom. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I, you know, I have one goal in mind is to get home. That's all I want to do. I have some spare time, but I want to, I went on a, a, a jet boat ride one time and, and a friend was with us and, and, um, we were all looking at the wildlife and he's just sitting there just the whole time because it's on a boat and there was nowhere he could go, literally. He had to wait until we got to the place, and then, and and he was just boats going up and down and splashing water. I, just, I really felt for him, but but he had a focus, right? And I don't want to be crass, but it's that pressure within him, right? Do we have the pressure in us from the Holy Spirit to say we got to do right? Yeah, you have the freedom in Christ to look at that or go there or waste time there. You may have the freedom in Christ, and that's another discussion, but. Do you want to waste time when we have this goal in mind? This is what we got to do. Get to the destination so you can get this done. And that and that's that's what I saw when I when I saw that point. Holiness is increased. No believer is perfect. When the Holy Spirit moves, God's children are called to higher levels of consecration. Secret sin. Is the Holy Spirit reigning in your life and you have secret sin? How would that work? Unforgiveness, worldly mindsets, all of this changed in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15 through 16 says this, And the Holy Spirit who testifies that this is so, for he says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, on that day says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. The Holy Spirit will testify to us, This is of God, this is of not God. Verse 7, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are stirred in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. But the manifestation, I'm sorry if I said that too fast, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. But the manifestations of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. I know in the original Greek there's no capitalization, but how can you not capitalize the name Spirit, every single thing there? What Spirit gives the word of wisdom? What Spirit gives the word of interpretation, the word of tongues, the, the, the word of insight or discerning the spirits. It's the spirit of God. Is that happening in your life? Do you find yourself constantly falling for this new teaching or that new teaching or being fascinated by things of the world or, or finances or all these things? Are you being fascinated by those? Or do you have that, that discerning of the spirits that goes, that's just going to make me prideful. That's just going to make me more into money. That's just going to make me more into whatever. Do you have that discerning spirit that says, I want to follow God and God alone? Evangelism becomes a priority. When you truly encounter Jesus, you want to share him to others. It's how we were created. It's in our DNA. Those who don't even know Christ, 
Have you ever noticed how many, I hope you haven't, but every time I go looking for a hotel or something someplace for a good price or whatever, all these things pop up, all these suggestions on what restaurant to go to or what, you know, Yelp. What's with Yelp? I don't even know Yelp, but uh, Yelp will come up and it'll tell me all these reviews. When you find something good, you want to share it, whether it's a good steak or it's a, it, it's a, I, I don't know, an animal. I don't know. Whatever it is, you want to share it. Good service. You want to share that. If Jesus truly is important to you, if the Holy Spirit's truly stirring up that God is awesome, then there should be this overwhelmingness to want to share it. You know, I haven't even looked. I wonder if Yelp has a review on Jesus. I, want, I bet you they'd have them on churches. But the idea you want to share Jesus because he means so much to me on a daily basis, an hourly basis, I can't help but. That's a sign of the Holy Spirit coming through. That's a, that's a dripping off of the water from you, from being immersed in the Holy Spirit. Um, it, the verse on that, if you wish, Acts 1.8 was read earlier. But you shall receive power after, the, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and onto the uttermost parts of the earth. Notice it was after the Holy Spirit came that they became powerful witnesses. Let's hearken back just for a minute to the statement of Jesus. It is better for the disciples that he leave because the Comforter will come. And let's ask ourselves the question. The source of instruction, the consciousness of sin, our motivation to worship, our hope in healing and our hope in peace, it's all of the Holy Spirit. But if it isn't, if my hope in healing is the doctor and the doctor's wisdom, if my hope in, in uh, this financial trouble is are my brothers and sisters going to pitch in and help, if my hope in this lack of peace is i got to just sit down and, and read a devotional, even doing something hollow, hollow. if my if my hope is in anything other than Christ, then then I'm what my demonstrating is is that it's it's better to be in personal contact with Jesus than to have the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus said, "It's better I go away because I'm going to put something inside of you. I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to infill you with my presence and 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 have that conduit, that clean conduit that speaks into our heart. But it's not better for you." that the Holy Spirit comes, if you're going to ignore him and you turn to all these other things that make sense to you. Our, our worship, is it a wellspring out of our heart that we sing, I love you, Lord? Or even, come now, almighty God? Or is it just part of the service? That's a telltale sign. I can't say that for this church. I can't say that for you. I can't say it for anybody but myself. But if I am sitting there singing, because that's just part of what we do right now, then... I am not walking in the Holy Spirit. I'm walking in tradition. I'm walking in something that's not of God. It's of man. Even if it's a well-intended man, it's of man. And I'm not saying we should stop the hymns or we should stop. What I'm saying is that self-reflective time, am I worshiping in this moment, in this song? Am I speaking the truths of God? Am I speaking to God? His praise and His worthiness. Is it a wellspring? Is it coming out? Are we convicted of our sin? Or do we just feel guilty of it? You know, Paul tells us something really important. This is another great sermon unto itself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. 
the latter part of that verse is that uh, the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret from that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Listen, if I, if I stopped pornography in my life because I feared my wife was going to leave me, if I stopped lying because I feared I was going to get caught, what Mark Twain said, I, I, I would be a better liar if I had a better, better memory or something like that. But the point is, if I stopped it because I thought I was going to get caught, then that's worldly guilt that's educating me about the dangers of the sins I'm in. It's not the evidence of the Holy Spirit in me going, oh, that breaks my heart that you're doing this. Why? When I've offered you this, why are you doing this? If I'm not having that internal conversation with the Holy Spirit, then he's not present. If I'm more worried about getting caught, then he's not present. We need to be careful that the Spirit convicts us. Not the church, not our spouse, not a set of standards, or a fear of being caught. The feeling of wrongdoing does not lead to getting right with God. To the individual that leaves sin because of fear of being caught is not in a better position because Jesus left. This next point Going back to just referring to the, the healing, my, one of my daughters has really convicted me about this. She, she, I don't want to say fell into a group, but she, she got close to some friends that had a, had this, uh, faith mindset that, uh, doctors, hmm, lack of faith, Jesus, full of faith, um, and there wasn't really kind of a marriage between those two, uh, those two thoughts, and, and, uh, I'm not saying that one of my daughters is in that mindset. I'm just saying that she had these, these feelings, and, and so, you know, I have a sick child, I'm going to the emergency room. You know, honey, are you going to come with me? That without praying, without expecting God to heal that child first, was pointing it out to me that I am not possessed by the Holy Spirit when it comes to his outpouring of gifts. Am I allowing him to say, I can do something here? Then again, I am better off with Jesus standing beside me than I am without him which is what he said you're going to be. You're going to be better off if I'm not here. I'm not allowing the Holy Spirit to say, I can do something here. Reach for me. Our congregation has seen people that came into this building who were possessed. I felt it in my spirit, I guess. I, I've seen it. I've seen the actions. I, I would say, yeah, it's mental illness, but boy, that sure smacks of New Testament possession. Where are we at on that? We've prayed over people to be unpossessed. Have we seen it? Have I? Have I experienced that faith to know that when I pray for that person, God's going to do something with them? I have a commitment. There's a person that I feel is possessed. This person had uh, involvement with my family for many years. Um, and I've committed to that person that he, he has a home state of Texas. And I've committed to him when we were involved with him that uh, every time I see the license plate from Texas, I'll pray for him and his family. And I do. I have done that faithfully. But i got to be completely honest. If I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I'd be reaching out to see if any of those prayers did any good. And I'm not. I really don't want to talk to him. I really don't want him in my life. I don't want him, he, the, the not damage, but the... I don't know what you would call it, but this the the atmosphere, the the things that he did to my family were not something that I want to ever engage in again. And therefore, I am not going to call him. 
but I'll pray for them from a distance. But if I was operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, this is this is a self-check moment here. Is is it better for me that Jesus left? Am I filled with his power for this man to forgive him? I believe I have. But I'm moving enough spirit to believe that whatever demon is demonizing him can flee at Jesus' name. Do I have that faith? I'm not there, and I need it. Now, many of you haven't gone to a charismatic church, so this, this idea that what I'm about to share with you is going to be kind of foreign. But sometimes you can walk into an atmosphere and just know by the peace, Jesus is here. There, there's, a, there's a sense that the spirit of worship is here. The spirit of God is here. I don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it is something to experience. I, my wife and I went through something a while back, I mean years and years ago. You sat down with a small group of people, they plug in a videotape, back then it was VHS, and you watch a sermon, you watch a teaching, um, and then you turn it off, you discuss it as a group, and, and that was very valuable. There were some things to check off lists, and there were some things to pray through and confess, and it was really, really worth it. It's called Cleansing Streams. It was really worth it. But the, one of the best things about the end of that was that the last day, the graduation, all those small groups, I don't know how many from how far away, but all those small groups met into one church building. And all the people who led those small groups, the entire time of that last day's teaching stood around the peripheral of the sanctuary and prayed. They just stood there and prayed. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. And, and what that man said from the stage, I received. And I, I felt like this is God speaking. And I, and I, need, to, I need to confess this. And I need to do this. And, 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 and there was healing. And there was all sorts of amazing things that were happening. I'm not saying I let the Holy Spirit deep fully into my life because there were things I didn't confess even then. But the stuff that was shared was powerful. And I was blocking part of it. But it was powerful. And I felt like the thoughts that I was wrestling with were blocked. I felt like when we were circled in prayer and worship, it was amazing. And then going up and, 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 and grabbing a hold of somebody's arms and, and just praying with them and having them pray over after the end of it. It was amazing. It was the Spirit. It was the presence of the Spirit. I wish you all get a chance to go through that. I know that in our circles we call that emotionalism, but I'm sorry God created emotion. God created emotion. Didn't you get excited when you, when, when you first got married? It's like my life's whole going to change. I'm going to get married now. And going to, this is my wife. This is the, this is for the rest of my life. Didn't your life get changed when some tragedy happened to your child? Some, some sickness happened or something and your emotions kicked in. It wasn't just like, you know, it's, I don't need to be emotional over this. Certainly you had to be emotional over this. So God created emotions. I think that's part of experiencing the Holy Spirit is that you're going to be so overwhelmed that tears may flow. You're going to be overwhelmed that Things change in your life, and I and I would say too that there's a lot of there's a lot of people that would say, well, yeah, but those churches end up worldly. They dress worldly. They act worldly. Okay, I'll admit to you, from standing afar and looking at a crowd, I don't know if I could point out anybody who goes to Faith Center, or Eugene Christian Fellowship, or or some more of the charismatic churches. I don't know if I could point out those people and say, yeah, they're they're Christian. You know, that group in Winko, that person right there is a Christian. I don't know if I could say that. I could say that about the, at least the young ladies and the women in this congregation. Um, in, at Winko, I could point out, oh, there's a sister. In fact, I just, I was out 
Walmart yesterday, and there's somebody I didn't recognize with a head covering. Ah, the sister. Even I don't know if I said hi, sister. I usually do. I don't think I did this time. But anyway, I could recognize that person. But I don't know about the young boys, the little baseball cap thing. I, yeah. Um, but but. I've been around people. I've been around contractors who know the Lord. I've been around uh, people just sitting there talking to him. Within two minutes of the conversation, they're talking about Jesus. And they may be wearing shorts. They may be wearing a tie. They, they may be not totally as modest as I would like them to be or as modest as the Holy Spirit would want them to be. But they wear the Holy Spirit on their sleeves. They, they, they want to talk about Jesus. They want to encourage you about Jesus. They want to, they want to, hey, what's going on? Is there anything I can pray for? I've had that happen. And, and I just, I just say, you know, don't get caught up and they don't look like us. If it, people who have a different expression of the Holy Spirit, different expression of Jesus, a different understanding, um, you can really gain some stuff out there because the Holy Spirit has a body that he invades, right? He has a body that he is part of. So. Anyway, holiness. If the Holy Spirit's with us, are we walking in holiness? Can anybody give me a definition, a good definition of what is holiness? What's that? Set apart. Set apart, absolutely, definitely. Um, the Hebrew is kadosh. Forgive me if I slam that word, but kadosh, it means to cut out. To be separate, absolutely. To be holy means to be cut off or separated from everything else. It means to be in a class of your own, distinct from anything else that's ever existed or ever will exist. Gadash means a second thing. It means holy. To be holy means to be entirely morally pure. All the time and in every possible way. Clean. Not just clean. You know, I could go to I could go to anybody's cupboards and open it up, and I know you people. I know your plates would be clean. I'm not talking about that type of clean. I'm talking about clean enough to be served to somebody who has an open wound that could be infected at any moment. I mean, sterile. That's the difference between clean and holy. Is it sterile? Is it clean? It's clean of on like any other dish. Anything it is clean. In the Old Testament, God set the seventh day aside, blessing it, and saying that day was kadosh. A day to remember God and all he did for us. In Leviticus 19, God told his people to be holy, to be kadash. For I, your God, am kadash. Isaiah heard the seraphim cry, kadash, 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 Elohim, most high. The Holy Spirit is kadash. It's set apart from any other spirit. It is unique. We could muster up the spirit of valley Christian fellowship. We could muster up the spirit of the youth. We could muster up the spirit of whatever, but it's not unique. It's only the Holy Spirit who comes from God. It's the promise of the Father. It's the promise of, the, of Jesus. And he's holy. He's set apart from anything else. If you're experiencing um, a kind of a worldly uh, identification with God, you know, the banners and the, and the, then, then I just question it. Is it totally separate from what the world expresses? I would say that's something to think about. It's something to, to just be thinking about. I had a conversation with a brother right over there about a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about something. And um, as I walked away, I was just telling myself, you know, if you guys can envision, I'm a picture person, if you can envision a boat going through a lake, what's behind it? It's the wake, right? 
It's kind of the evidence that's been there. It's what's left behind after it's been there. And after that conversation, I was thinking, what was my wake in that conversation? Was it my uh, difficultness? Was it my pride? Was it my willing to argue and debate? Or did I bless that brother in any way of God, of his walk, of, of just blessing him for his stand that he's taken in his life and the vision he has for those around him to follow God? Did I bless him in any way of that? Or did I question, prod, prod and, and push? Did I say, you know, is it really that way? You know, what wake, what, what taste did I leave in his mouth? I often, I am so sorry for the way I've treated Roger over the years. And I know every time I call, he's like, oh, that's Bob. Hey, Bob, how are you? Um, it's because the wake I've left in his life often, not all the time, but often is, um, yeah, but what about this way? <laughs> what about that? What about this verse? And it's just, it's just like that. There's something I wanted to share with you later, and I'll get into that. But I, I tried to have a different wake this morning and a text conversation about how I wanted to end today, and, and I and I feel like it was godly. I hope it was godly. We'll see. <laughs> but you know, one thing I think about in this idea of evangelism, the desire to to see Denny Kennison. If you ever listen to his sermon, "How to Win a Soul," if you ever had a chance to listen to that sermon, it's a great sermon. I really appreciate that sermon. But one of the things he talks in there is about the fact that we partner with the Holy Spirit. And it's that's a bit controversy, controversial. Do we partner with the Holy Spirit? It's all God's ability to bring something to the Lord. Well, I, he goes through it, and I think I agree with him. I, well, I do agree with him that it's through the foolishness of preaching. So we do have a, a spot involved in that awesome work of bringing something to the Lord. But it's the Holy Spirit. It always starts with the Holy Spirit, he teaches. And I think that's true. It's the Holy Spirit working on somebody. Are we praying, Holy Spirit, thank you for helping me today to see you better. Now, that person at work, I really need you to be working on his heart. I really need you to talk to him. And then tell me anything you want me to say to back up stuff you're already talking to him about. It's that partnership of working with the Holy Spirit. And i got to tell you this. If you look over the ages and you look at great men and women of God who have moved mountains for God, who have started new waves of, of, uh, of uh, evangelism or, or uh, revival. If you look at those people, Moody, uh, if you look at Edwards, you look at Wesley, if you look at Amy Simple McPherson for that matter, or Paul in the Bible, those people had a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, they're human. They blew it. I, I mean, even Simple McPherson, we could talk about how she blew it near the end of her life, but I believe there was a time in her life where she was walking with the Holy Spirit and it was evident by how many people came to know, truly come to know the Lord. Not just in form, but they came to know the Lord. And it was based out of a personal relationship. Not all the, not everybody has a gift of evangelism, but I think again, it's a wellspring. If it's poured into you and you get excited about it, it's something that God has already shared with our DNA. All humans are like this. We want to share the good stuff. We want to share that. Um, you know, I'm reading a book, a biography of a, of a fella, and I, I really appreciate a lot of the things of his life. He's, uh, he was amazing. Of all the people I could say that I've ever read about that, that had a shot at being perfect. And there's this line out of this biography, and I want to read it here. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. 
Now that you know that I'm not trying to trick you and I'm not talking about some other fellow, I am talking about Jesus. His biography sure is this. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. That's the Holy Spirit working through his life. That's the Holy Spirit's presence that he was anointed with that helped him see people in need. You know, if you listen to the Holy Spirit sermon, that's called Holy Spirit, I think, um, by Mark. It's one of the first sermons I listened to when I was listening to trying to get my mind thinking around these things. Um, by the way, Mark starts out that sermon by saying, I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I appreciated that opening. But at any rate, he talks about that sometimes we're moving in the Holy Spirit and sometimes we're not. And he tries to explain it like this. He says, it's like a, a, a river, and that river can be dammed. And then, and then the water piles up. The Holy Spirit is over here, and over here is just a trickle. Well, I appreciate that vision. I, I, I see what he's trying to say. We have things that dam up that water. But can I give it a different example? My son, my daughter, just went to Lake Tahoe. Right? I don't know if you've ever been at Lake Tahoe, if you've been at Reno, and you look up there, and there's this gigantic mountain, and then you realize there's a lake on top of that gigantic mountain. What would happen if something broke through on the bottom of that lake? Right? It would get wet. Uh, anybody here is in geology, can you tell me what this is called if this happens? A flood. Thank you. It's, it's an artesian well. Right? An artesian well. What's the difference between an artesian well and a normal well? You dig a well artesian well, you find some way to tap into water that's higher than your wellhead. And so there's pressure pushing it out. That's more like what the Holy Spirit is. He's placed it in us and he is God and he's in us. The pressure for him to get out is amazing. It's like the bottom of Lake Tahoe coming out and flooding Reno. It's amazing. And yet sometimes we just have a trickle. And I just say, as a self-reflective moment, look at the, your artesian well that you're created to be. What is blocking this flood from flooding the nation? Jesus had no block as he walked around and saw people in distress and oppressed and possessed, and he healed them. He had no block. We have blocks. A whole nother study. I don't even know where I am in my notes, but a whole nother study to be thinking about a whole other study is to go through Acts chapter uh, 8, or all of Acts, basically, or not Acts, I'm sorry, uh, Romans. Um, Romans chapter 1 and 2 talk about it. Romans 8, uh, Romans 9. If you go into Galatians, the teaching of the New Testament talks about those things in our life that cause these little rocks to pile up and block that artesian well. Again, a whole other sermon, totally worth it. Go over just the, this, the, the, in Galatians, the, the acts of the flesh, the works of the flesh, if you will, and just think, what part of that is in my life? Because I, I'll tell you the truth, we're designed to walk like Jesus and not have a block here. Maybe have some because we're still alive and we have flesh, but not the way that we are walking today. Not the way I'm walking today. There is so much blocking up this artesian well in my life. And so just going through that bit by bit, okay, I'm not going to murder somebody, but I hate anybody. 
Is there anybody I just can't stand to be in the room of? This man I was telling you about earlier, am I seeing the devil oppressing him and messing up with his mind and getting angry at the devil, or am I angry at him? Am I allowing the Holy Spirit to just say, that rock needs to be removed? And this one over here, we'll work on that next, but get this one out of the way. Am I allowing the Holy Spirit? Do I, am I coming to church? Self-reflective. Are you coming to church? Because it just needs to be done. What are people going to say if I'm not there? Oh, it's, it's Bob. It's Mike. They're going to talk forever. Is, do you have that mindset? Or do you have, is God going to speak to me today? Is there something going on? I try to pray that over my family every time. Like the night before we go to church, the night on Wednesday nights, I try to pray that over myself and my family. Lord, if there's anything you want to say, anything, prepare my heart to hear it. I want to change. I need to change. Show me those rocks that are blocking up this artesian well. There's pressure of God in every single person that he possesses to come flooding out. Anyway, I, boy, I really got off this thing there. Um, in England, I was listening to, not listening, you can't listen. Uh, I was reading a sermon from Billy Sunday. So this would be about 1920-something. Um, and Billy Sermon had this illustration, and I thought, this is good. This is, I don't know what his point was. <laughs> if you ever read Billy Sunday, he's kind of kind of like me. He's all over the place. But I, I really like this illustration. He said, some time ago, there was a man in England who died in a poorhouse. So, so basically, their welfare system, as you get to a point, they don't like give you money to be able to buy stuff at, at this point in history. They would take you out of your property because you couldn't take care of yourself, and they would put you in a house, and they would feed you whatever people would give the the house to feed you. So it wasn't a good situation. But he died in a poorhouse. Now, he had a few acres out in the country. For some reason, he didn't sell it or whatever, but he died in the poorhouse while this rundown house, his rundown property was out there. And then when he died, the estate was turned over. Somebody bought it. And this person wanted to put in a well. They dug 20 feet for this well, and they hit a major vein of copper and made lots of money. Now, I don't know what Billy Sunday was talking about, but I'll tell you what I'm talking about when I, when I read that. I went, amen. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the presence, it's better that he's gone because the Holy Spirit is here in me, is worth it. Don't say it's too much work. Don't say, I don't want to be humbled that much. I don't want to be hurt that much. I don't want to expose myself that much. I, I, I don't want that speaking in tongues. Don't, don't say, I don't want a gift of the Holy Spirit. Because if you just dig a little bit deeper, you're going to be overwhelmed with the wealth of, of his mercy and his grace and his ability to be able to touch others and change the very things in your life you know need to be changed. But you just don't have the power to do it. He's going to have that power for you. It's just a little deeper. Don't die in a poorhouse of just eking away. Yeah, your soul is saved, but you're not listening to the power. You don't have, you don't have all the access that God wants to give you. Don't die that way. So, you know, I'm going to do something that's a little strange. Um, I'm not going to speak in tongues. I, you know, I don't have that gift. Um, but I am going to do something a little bit strange for our church, and I, and I hope you all appreciate and, and forgive me and allow me to do it. I, I feel like 
I can say a lot of stuff up here, but if the Holy Spirit's not involved, it's not going to do any good. Um, I, 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 I feel there's a lot of things in me that I, I can't fix. The Holy Spirit can only, and I got to give him more access. I understand. Do you, do you feel like you're moving in power? Do you feel like you have victory over sin? Do you feel like you, when you open up the Bible, is God giving you understanding? That's a, that's a product of the Holy Spirit being there. The stuff I'm talking about, do you feel like you have the do, or do you feel like you need it more? Because I tell you, I need the, a freshness of the Holy Spirit. I need to be constantly infilled. I need that to be filled. It's like that, that what Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that word is a constant filling the wind constantly filling the sail. I need that in my life, and I'm not allowing that to, to fully happen in my life. And I'm going to have us go through a small exercise here and, and hopefully just kind of break through some things. If anybody needs it, I need it. So again, thanks for the ride. But um, but we're going to be doing something really kind of a little strange. But I will tell you this. Corey Tin Boone, I listened to her Holy Spirit sermon. I was impressed with some things that she said. She said some amazing things about forgiveness that I was really impressed with. Um, but she shared a little story. Now, I remember her father was a clockmaker. So a lot of things to do with, with clocks. But she said there was a family that she had known in Holland that um, they had a grandfather clock that, that they loved. It was part of their family. It was part of their heritage. But they couldn't repair it. It was cost way too much money to repair it. The parts weren't being made anymore. It was, it was an outdated clock. But it was a big, beautiful case, and the clock was beautiful. They couldn't get rid of it, but they couldn't. They didn't have the money to fix it, so they put it down in the basement. Years later, somebody comes knocking on the door, transient feller, um, and it's raining and it's cold outside. And they they say, you know, we'll give you something to eat, um, but you need to leave tomorrow. We'll give you a place to stay tonight. And they set him up in the basement. They gave a little cot down there, and, and they put him down there. And uh, along about 7 o'clock in the morning, they hear that clock start charming, chiming, chiming. And they can hear the bells going. What in the world? And the whole family rushes downstairs. What happened? And, and the man says, oh, I fixed it. How did you fix it? These aren't, these aren't even made anymore. Well, before I got to this stage in my life, I used to make these. He, he was one that made the clocks. Not just repaired them, but made them. He knew all the parts. If we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, there's some things in, in, in us that we just don't feel can be fixed. I am so dead sent when I get hurt, I hurt others. I am so hardened to the fact that it is easier to lie than to confess. I am so hardened with this, this desire to spread gossip. I am so hardened in these fleshly ways to make my life more comfortable. How am I going to get fixed? If you invite the Holy Spirit when, through the small exercise we're about to do, if you invite the Holy Spirit into your heart, into the basement of your life, He made that clock. He invented your heart. And, and what we're going to do right now is, uh, I, I'm going to hand out, there, brother, there's, or somebody, there's uh, in my box, there is a stack of papers. Um, Honey, I think you have the other stack in your, your Bible. But I don't have it. Um, don't, don't read this yet. Let it be handed out. Please tell me, honey, that you brought the rest of them. 
Every man, woman, and child, please don't share. I, I made 60 of them, I believe, and we don't have 60 people here. So there should be enough. Don't read it yet. What I want to do is we're going to sing a song. No, we're not. Correction. We're going to listen to a song. I, I beg of you. You're going to be tempted to sing the song. You know the song. It was written in 1926. It was written by a man uh, who was a retired pastor. He went out and he was a, a welcomed pastor. People wanted him to come preach after his retirement. He was a Presbyterian uh, minister and he was successful. And uh, just one day, he and his wife went to an to a evangelical meeting, a crusade, and they were preaching on the Holy Spirit. And what he did is... He sat and listened, and he said, I don't have what that man said. He's a retired preacher who is sought after, successful. I don't have what that man has, what he's talking about. I don't have that. And so after the sermon, he went into a back room. He laid on the floor, and he wept, according to the story. He just cried out to God. He says, I need more of you. I need more of you. And then he got up to a piano, and he he plucked out a simple song. Not a skilled musician. This man's a preacher. He plunked out a simple song, a song we all know, we've all heard before. I thought it was actually written in the 60s or 70s. turns out it was 1926. But we're going to listen to the song twice through. And what I want to do is I just, I just can you read that prayer? And I'm not one who says we should read prayers. I'm, I, I, I firmly believe that it's our spirit to God's spirit, so it should be renewed every morning. It's new every morning. It's a, but, you know, I, I, I've been convicted since I've been to this church. I can pray some of these songs. And it was written by Fanny Crosby or Elisha Hoffman or it was written by some other fella uh, person. And, and I can pray these words and mean them. And that's what I want to do. I, this, this paper I've just given you is a prayer. If you feel like you can get on your knees and read this prayer, fine. I'm not going to ask you to do that, though. If you want to do it, Feel free. I've given you permission to do it. I'm not one. I get distracted when I'm on my knees. There's a lot of things that happen there, pain and such. But, but if you, if you're the type to get on your knees, pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. This is stuff we need, guys. Do, do you have the do? I have the ability to do this, all this, all this because it's there. But is my experiencing it? And that's what this prayer is about. This is what this whole sermon's about. And that's, that's how I want to end. Um, let me just say this before we start that exercise. Let's just say that, and again, that song's going to go, it's only one minute long, minute and 13 seconds. We're going to play it twice so we can get through that prayer. But don't say it out loud. Don't sing. Just allow it to float over top of you while you're praying. But I want to tell you this, Luke chapter 11, 13. If you then, though you are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in Heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What a promise. We, we started this two weeks ago, or a week ago, with this verse. And it shall come to pass in the last days, that saith God, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. These are the promises of God. He says, I'll give it to you if you ask. So if we can ask, that'd be great. Go ahead. Mm-hmm.